this month's podcast, our topic is on sleep, a common but completely debilitating condition, whether it's acute or chronic. Lack of sleep and insomnia has wide-reaching effects from fatigue to its detrimental impact on emotional well-being. So in today's podcast for Herb Talk, we will be discussing how to support sleep effectively with phytotherapy. Kia ora, Phil. Kia ora, Charlene. <laughs> Kia ora, everyone. Good to have everyone back again and good to have Phil back also. We are discussing how phytotherapy can help support sleep. We will be looking at both acute and chronic cases of insomnia and the main herbs that help for clinical application of insomnia treatment. So we'll be discussing how we can all have a good night's sleep and hopefully help our clients at the same time. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, it's sounding good so far. Yep. So jumping right back in with Phil, our resident expert here, we know we have many phytotherapy choices for managing and helping with insomnia. That's the good news. For for you, Phil, what herb comes first to mind when we mention or hear from a client in clinic about lack of sleep or insomnia? Yeah, phew. Um, I guess the first one that springs to mind is withania, ashwagandha, withania somnifera, because you don't get a name somnifera um, as part of your Latin name for no reason. And, uh, yeah, there's so many sticking plaster or symptomatic herbs we can talk about and, and we'll talk about some of them for sleep. But at the end of the day, you know, it's why people aren't sleeping. It, it's getting at the etiological background contributory factors and almost always it's an element of excessive stress. So I guess withania is, is the first one I think think about unless that person absolutely denies stress and doesn't want any adaptogen and just wants a symptomatic mix, I will almost always put some in there. But yeah, then I, I also think of herbs like kava, valerian, hops, they're all you know, really good anxiolytic and sedative herbs if you use them appropriately. So those are some of my other favourites. Thanks, Phil, for that <laughs> lovely insight. I think a lot of us will agree with you. We love Withania. And for those of you who didn't know that about it, it's last Latin botanical name. That's a wonderful little deeper insight too. Why wouldn't we use that for sleep? It's so good for resetting the sleep cycle, isn't it? That circadian rhythm. Definitely. Next big question on sleep for you, Phil, and I'm sure you're going to answer it with ease. How often do you find you use valerian for sleep conditions in clinic? Because we often hear, does valerian suit the majority of people? We do hear from practitioners a bit worried about using it. Um, you know, they might have, it might have an opposite effect. It might be overstimulating. What are your thoughts there? I think valerian is um, often a very poorly understood herb, actually. It's, it's often rather underrated in the last 20 years or so because I don't agree that it causes rebound uh, or exacerbation of, of a sleep issue anywhere near as often as what people sometimes think it does. But I think you know the, the clinical trials have produced variable results um, and that's largely a result of... Uh, product quality being highly variable um, and highly different doses being used in some of these trials. And then, of course, recently we're realising that the inter-individual pharmacokinetic differences and how much we absorb the valerianic acids, which are some of the key actives in valerian, that in itself means that some of us need five, ten times the dose of others. But I think Rudolf Weiss, who was the German, well-known German physician and herbalist, um, who wrote the, the well-known book Herbal Medicines um, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, 
his words of wisdom around valerian that you need to use it in decent doses, not in drops, but in decent uh, grams and mils. Um, I learned a lot from that, and um, I've learned over the years to use it um, in, in doses, usually in the level of 10 to 20 mils a day, 10 to 15 for most people, but sometimes 20. That's what people need if they are using it for sleep. Um, and if you use it that way and you use a good quality dried preparation, um, preferably made from New Zealand grown organic valerian, um, you know you're going to get a good quality product and, and it, it will often work despite its um, characteristic smell. Um, <laughs> it's not definitely not going to win any awards for the best smelling or tasting herb for that matter. No, nah, but you get used to it, I think. Um, but yeah, the other element um, around valerian that, that I think warrants a bit more research is the fact there's different types of valerinic acid in it. You know, it's not just one valerinic acid. There's acetoxy valerinic acid and there's hydroxy valerinic acid and then valerinic acid itself, which is, you know, a sesquiterpene. And um, German research, and all of those modulate GABA-A receptors, you know, the receptors where valium, diazepam, sleeping tablets, Z drugs also work on. I think what we are starting to learn about is that some of those acetoxyvalerinic acid, the more you've got in it, the better it can work. Um, Whereas if you've got too much hydroxyvalerinic acid, it may have a bit of a paradoxical effect, you know, an inhibitory effect on those GABA-A receptors. So that's another possible contributing factor as to why a very small percentage of people may experience, um, you know, a paradoxical um, stimulant effect as they can do when they take benzodiazepines as well. It's not just valerian. It's also carver, benzos. I've seen people um, paradoxically look like they're stimulated when they have some of those things in certain doses, um, particularly drug-seeking people um, in, in certain doses can really um, get a bit of a stimulant effect. You're right. If someone has an overstimulation effect, more often than not, they tend to have an overstimulating effect, don't they, too? those sedative-like herbs or drugs, don't they? They seem to be quite res- what what we call maybe sensitive responders or over-responders. They fall into that category there where they tend to get stimulated very easily. I mean, there's all sorts of theories. Why isn't there neuro, different neuropathways? And yep. Like- <clears throat> and if you've read about Dr. Google or, you know, Joe Blogg, uh, he's written in the Sunday magazine who's, who's a nutritionist and now suddenly an expert in herbal medicine. And if they're saying that, be careful of valerian, it might cause stimulation, then uh, the chances of, you know, that uh, psychosomatic uh, response go up markedly, in my opinion. The placebo effect becomes well. Yep. <laughs> well, it work, doesn't it, in those cases? Yep, it can do indeed, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Thanks for that, Phil. That's definitely given us some more information for our listeners today. For everyone listening, I hope that's helped resolve a little bit of the um, jigsaw puzzle mystery for valerium and people that tend to over-respond and the chances of that happening, as Phil has said today, are minor. It is, you know, not the majority, it's minority that tend to have that sort of response. Of course, we never know Yeah. sometimes yeah. who that person's going to be. Obviously, would there be any hallmark signs to look for. Obviously someone that is always a sensitive responder or over-responds to stimulating things would, would fall into that. Would there be anything else you would suggest for people um, to... No, I think it's trial and error. Um, yes. You know, I always say to people when giving them a sleep formula, start with uh, maybe five mils um, the first night or the first dose. If that doesn't do what you want it to do, have another five or the next night have ten. You know, so... Walking before you run with dose is probably one of the best approaches to that, yeah, I think. Gen- gentle and build as you go. Don't just 
go in with your 20 ml valerian yeah. dose for the starting absolutely. point. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe leave that for the finishing point. <laughs> That's right. It's only a minority of people who need that. I find that 10 to 15 usually does it, but, but there is a small percentage who need 20. That's good to know, though. So for those people that need that, there's that little bit of extra allowance there. Yep. Insomnia is usually identified by either trouble getting to sleep, maintaining sleep and waking, or not getting back to sleep. Uh, this is a big question for you, Phil, today, but what are the top three herbs that you use within your clinic that you see give you the most results for chronic insomnia? I know there'll be more than three that you definitely use. Yeah, I mean, with Ania, um, as I said before, because it is such a good background adaptogen, um, Kava is, is probably one of my three favourites because I know it really well. I've used it for, for many, many years. Um, and of all the anxiolytic and sedative herbs, I, I find it's one of the strongest um, if it's, you know, a high carbolactone-containing product. Um, and, and it seems to work in a large percentage of patients. And then valerian, as I said before, um, it is still one of my top three, um, provided it's used uh, properly. But, but there are a whole lot of others. Yeah. Of course, but that's just, yep. that's just sweeping the surface, thanks, Phil, <laughs> just yep. to give some people an idea of three key herbs today. If they weren't already using them, these might be other ones to put in the toolbox for those insomnia clients. Yep. We know that one of the main adverse effects of both acute and chronic insomnia is negative impact on daytime functioning, right? There's been research that shows it akin to being drunk while driving, right? That your cognitive ability is severely impaired by lack of sleep, and especially if it's ongoing, such as in chronic insomnia cases. Uh, lower cognitive functioning, less memory retention, poorer concentration, and your general learning ability and uptake is compromised. What are your herbs here that you like to use that can support cognitive and brain function? We know we've got a plethora of herbs that we can use. Rosemary, lemon balm, holy basil jump out a little bit. But what herbs do you use here to to help in a mix? Yeah, um, yeah, all of those are are really helpful. Um, I, I use also bacopa and ginkgo. Um, sometimes where, where that's quite a real need that patients have, where their cognition is, is declined or, or they're getting old in years, older, sometimes lion's mane as well, um, and even Ganoderma. Um, but again, you're, you're probably not going to like this, but one of my favourites is valerian because um, there are animal studies, you know, animal behavioural studies where uh, senescent mice or, you know, mice that have been prematurely aged um, were cognitively sharper and performed better. They, they worked out how to figure out how to solve the puzzle um, quicker and better when they had had valerian than when they'd had placebo. And so I think for older patients especially, um, valerian is, is a really good one. It's a little bit like a ginkgo, um, a bit like Melissa in a younger person. Lemon balm is more for younger uh, people who, who want to be relaxed and maybe sleep better but also look after their cognition because it can do that in, in uh, laboratory study, studies. Uh, valerian is more for older patients, I think, who, who generally don't mind the, the smell so much. They're not going to the office and having to open it up <laughs> in front of their work <laughs> they colleagues. They keep that one at home. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's a great one. And holy basil is, is really, really good. Um, you know, um, it also is a, a recent... Uh, clinical trial out of Australia actually where holy basil improved sleep quality when it was taken um, twice a day for eight weeks. So, um, yeah, all of those things can really help with that post-insomnia um, you know, 
post-day, uh, the next day cognitive uh, deficit that people sometimes complain about. I love that we're learning to love Valerian more for people out there that had a bit of adversity or maybe it wasn't even adversity, just didn't, wasn't quite sure about it, didn't know enough about it. I think um, you are making us all fall more in love with Valerian if you weren't already there. It's so interesting to learn all, a little bit more about any of the herbs and that's including Valerium, of course. So we know that it's not just a good for smelling like mouldy socks. It has much more in its yeah. ability than that and great to know about that cognitive. There's uh, actually a, a study also on um, patients who had had coronary artery bypass surgery and, um, and you know, cognitive decline or poor memory is often a, a, an outcome of that surgery takes uh, you know weeks sometimes for people to get back to being you know as sharp as they used to be but a, a clinical trial where they gave valerian to half a group of people who went through a coronary bypass and uh, two months after surgery those who'd had valerian were, were back to normal whereas those who hadn't weren't so um, you know we do have some good cl- human clinical trial data here to support its cognition um, uh, enhancing abilities as well got some good strong clinicals behind it emerging we love that and I hope more happens on valerian too because I'm sure there's lots that like many of the herbs if not all of the herbs and we don't know about it that it's good for this cognitive ability um, that it has to support you the day after as well as helping you sleep makes sense doesn't it? it's almost like it was made to be that way like the ultimate sleeping herb yep maybe <laughs> Um, there are combination herbs. This is our next question, Phil. Again, a little touch on valerium. It seems like that has unexpectedly become a hot topic of today in herb that seem to work best when they're paired together, like a synergistic effect, such as valerium and hops. Can you give us a couple of examples of what other herbs can work well together for insomnia that you use? And do you use valerian and hops together? Um, yes, I do. Not, not as often as the Germans do, I guess. Um, that combination of about five parts of valerian, one part of hops is, is kind of a very traditional German approach to insomnia, actually. And, and there's many products licensed there as, as herbal medicines. Um, and, and they have the ability to make a therapeutic claim around relieving insomnia um, in that combination. Um, and there's a number of clinical trials showing that it can help with the quality of sleep, um, that combination. But I also like kava with passion flower. Um, I don't often use kava by itself. I find that kava and passion flower tend to, use, tend to work quite well together, sort of two parts kava to one part passion flower typically, um, and occasionally valerian hops and passion flower. Um, hops taste disgusting, as, as you probably know, especially New Zealand-grown hops because of its high alpha acid level. So, you know, you, got, you don't give it to everyone. It's even more unpalatable than valerian. I think valerian's lovely compared to hops in my experience. Um, so, you know, if you are using hops, you want to use it with a bit of licorice. Um, and, and you don't generally use hops as a simple. So both valerian or even zizzy fist is a good one. It's uh, relatively sweet and you, you do tend to need quite a decent dose. So um, magnolia is another one. You know, you can use it instead of withania sometimes. It's another background adaptogen and can help with sleep quality um, and the magnolol and the honokyl and it also acts as GABA benzodiazepine A receptor agonist. So, um, and that seems to combine well with lemon balm. Um, as, as does uh, with Hania. So there's a whole range of things that um, do combine well. I, I just suggest to people to go out and try and work out what works best for you and, and your patients, really. 
And you all find your favourites along the way, don't we, as yeah. we go, what works and what seems to work well. And I guess it's interesting, the connection there, much like quantum physics experiments, the presence of the person being there can make a difference to the outcome. So maybe yeah. the, Absolutely. <laughs> the practitioner on the day makes a difference to the herbs being poured on the day as well and what herbs work best for whatever reason we've yet to... Yeah figure out that energy equation. I think so, yeah. If you can really invoke a, an air of calmness to the patient and, and confidence that what she or he is going to be given or taking or pursuing is actually going to work, um, you're, you're going to be probably doing a better job than a busy physician who has that patient for five minutes, of ten course. minutes, and, and you know you just don't get a sense of calmness or stillness in that in that context, do you? So, again, you know we need medical herbalism as part of mainstream healthcare in Aotearoa because um, there's a lot we can do to facilitate better quality sleep in, in a big part of the population. Yes, completely agree, Phil. I think from the moment you have that client walk through the door, you have a chance. Yep. Because they're there because they have some belief in in all in you and 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 what they're going to do. There's some yep. sort of you know effect already happening, and you can you know extend that obviously with your skills, ability, and knowledge and help impart that. Absolutely. Yep. Although from case to case, the length of time that herbs take to work or provide relief, we all know this can vary greatly depending on the individual. But sleep is one thing where people don't tend to want to wait long, especially if it's been a long period of time for them, it's been a chronic condition. When, when or how soon should a client expect to start seeing some symptomatic relief when using herbs for insomnia? Um, so, yeah, I think, as I said earlier, I really like to give both a, a main mix and a symptomatic nighttime mix. Um, for the latter, with a, with a symptomatic nighttime mix, it, it'll either work or it won't. Um, in Europe, the, the regulators have a bit of a requirement that um, valerian should be taken for a couple of weeks uh, before it works in insomnia, and I really don't know where that comes from. Um, because just with the, the pharmaceutical drugs, with the, the zopoclone, with, you know, um, the nitrazepam, the benzodiazepines, the tramadols, whatever – It'll either work or it won't. You know, it's it's working in an acute, um, straightaway type situation. So, um, subject to what we said before about valerian, starting with a moderate dose before you go to a high one, and that applies to all of these symptomatic mixes. Um, ideally, you want it to work straight away within the first night or two at a higher dose. Um, but the other more daytime mixes, you know, three or four days, five days maybe before withania starts kicking in. Um, really depends on, on the cause of the insomnia as to how long that can really help take to work the daytime mix. Thanks, Phil. That's such important information. And you're right, it's a variance there, but that's a great indication of when we should start to see some effect. This is a huge question and our last question for the day, and I know we're not going to be able to cover it all. But what is one of the most well-known drug and herb interactions with common sleep medications Um that you see in clinical that that practitioners today just listening need to be careful or cautious about if they're using, say, valerium, we'll pick one herb because obviously there's, that's a huge subject. Yeah, yeah. all of our anxiolytic or, or sedative herbs or herbs used for insomnia, um, you know, the symptomatic ones are in, in, in pharmacology, we, we ideally should be calling them central nervous system depressants. That's the old-fashioned pharmacological term. So 
Um, just like alcohol and kava, you get a, an additive uh, effect and sometimes that's not great or alcohol and sleeping tablets, that's not great. If you're going to add a really big dose of kava to somebody who's already taking isopropone, you're going to probably have an additive effect. So that is an interaction and you need to anticipate it and, and allow for it in the dose you recommend um, and, and, you know, and make sure your patient understands that. Um, so, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, that additive effect can often mean that, as we said earlier, they can avoid the need to go up on their dose. You know, these, these, the drugs that are used for insomnia do have a tendency to lead to physical dependency and therefore patients quite often need more and more of them to invoke the same response. Therefore, if you can uh, nip that in the bud and avoid the need for them to go up on a dose, that's a good herb drug interaction where I come from. Um, but then, as, as we said before, some of the other interactions would be um, you know, helping to reduce the daytime sedation or helping to um, ameliorate the adverse event of cognitive decline. So there's a lot, lot that we can do, but you do need to take into account other meds that people are taking, and they often are taking quite serious pharmaceuticals like quetiapine or, or, or benzos or, or opiates even. So you do need to consider that seriously before you pursue with your herbal treatment. So that lovely role which we can often use, uh, like when we're talking about valerium, when you're first starting off, start small, build if you need to. Obviously you're monitoring them, you're watching them, you're talking to them, you're communicating with them, seeing what is and isn't working. They're yep. under your care. So just keep keep doing that as we go along and start gently with smaller doses if you know they're on medication because there is that contraindication yep. right there. Yep, and come up with a treatment strategy. You know, what are you actually trying to achieve with the herbs? Because you don't want to be doubling up on what pharmaceuticals are doing. Um, so being very clear about the treatment objectives and strategy is really quite important as well, I think. Thanks, Phil. I know that's great. Great advice to everyone out there, and I'm sure that's very valuable for everyone out there treating someone under stress and sleep, they often tend to be intertwined together as Phil um, started off with our first question. Those two often come together. So thank you, Phil, for being part of today's discussion. Thanks, Charlene. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for being here on Herb Talk with us as always, helping us with our um, straightforward and tricky questions <laughs> we pose to you and helping us learn a bit more about chronic sleep issues, insomnia, and how we can help with phytotherapy as always. Kaikiti Anu, everyone, thank you for joining us. Kaikiti.